want to hone some new skills this spring, check out Learning with Experts, the global classroom community that brings people together to learn from the best in the business. Their range of courses covers everything from food and drink to photography and gardening. So why not become an accredited garden designer and learn with world-renowned experts including influential Dutch garden designer Pete Ulof and multi-award winning British designer Tom Stewart-Smith. Or take a course on herb gardening, natural beekeeping or growing veg. You can start whenever it suits and you get to meet other gardening enthusiasts in the sociable online classroom. Visit learningwithexperts.com forward slash on the ledge now for 10% off your first course. That's learningwithexperts.com forward slash on the ledge. Learning with experts, online learning that's guaranteed to lift the spirits. And welcome to On The Ledge podcast. I'm your host, Jane Perone, currently sitting with a very hot head because I've been wearing my riding hat to break it in. I know, it's a weird old world I live in. We're continuing our theme of houseplants for beginners this week, airing 10 commandments for houseplant beginners, or well, any growers to be quite honest, supplied to us by Judy Feldstein of houseplant411.com. And I'll be answering a question about watering and fungus gnats. A shout out to Nick Nam K, who wrote me a really lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts in the last week or so. They wrote... This is the podcast equivalent of a warm, sunny day sitting in the shade with a glass of iced lemonade and watching the bees buzz among some clover while listening to Ella Fitzgerald. Soothing and refreshing with a touch of understated humour and, sadly, rarer in occurrence than I want it to be. Nick, it's a weekly podcast. I don't think I can stretch to daily instalments, but uh, I do. I do appreciate your desire for more episodes. All I can suggest is if you are willing to pay $5 a month, then you can upgrade to a Patreon subscriber and get access to an extra leaf, my bonus episodes, which come roughly twice a month. But thank you for your lovely review anyway. Uh, I feel very, very honoured to be mentioned in the same breath as Ella Fitzgerald, that absolute towering figure of music and I'm very very delighted by your review so thank you very much for leaving a review for On The Ledge it really means a lot to hear these lovely things about the show thank you also to Beverly who emailed to say how much she appreciates the amount of time that I give to musical interludes and the care I take to credit the musicians and that's a really nice compliment thank you I do spend a lot of time looking for the right music for the show and making sure that I credit the Creative Commons licensed music that I use and it's really important to me that the music is exactly right for the show so thank you for your comments on that and if you love any of the tracks that you hear it on the ledge do go and look at the show notes where you will be able to find those tracks and hear more from the artist whose work I air in the show. 
And thanks also to Randall, who got in touch on the email. That's on the ledge podcast at gmail.com to say that he agrees with all my recommendations for tough beginner plants. Thank you, Randall. That's good to hear. But he has another one to add. And he calls it, uh, he said it was labelled as the brown jug plant. Wow, I'm not sure if that's a good name or not. It's quite, it's quite workaday, isn't it? The brown jug plant. But its Latin name, you know I love the Latin names, is, is Cynodenium grantii. It also has the common name African milkbush. Uh, he does say that it has toxic sap, but this this isn't a problem for him personally, but it's worth knowing about if you do plan to get one of these plants. And comfortingly, he says, you cannot kill this short of submerging it in water. His survives in very little light, full sun, no water, more water, hot, cold, etc. And yet it persists and grows. It actually likes intermediate light best and some attention to watering to look its best. It is one tough plant. This, I had to look this one up because I'd not really come across it before, but it is, uh, looks like a great plant for anyone wanting to start out with something really, really tough. I will put uh, details in the show notes if you're interested in getting yourself a brown jug plant. And if you've got any more recommendations for tough plants that I should add to my list, please do let me know. And a reminder that this is the last episode of August. Sniff! Yes, I know, but it's it's tragic. There will not be any more episodes after this one until September 6th because I am taking a little hiatus to catch my breath, regroup, adjust my headphones and generally get ready for what's going to be a very, very exciting next few months on On The Ledge. There's some exciting things coming up which I can't tell you about yet, but I know you're going to absolutely love them. Do check the show notes for details of the things that are already confirmed, which is my appearance at the Houseplant Festival at the Garden Museum in September and also BCSS Cactus World Live in September. Also, all those details are in the show notes and I would love to see you there. And I put out an extra leaf episode. That's my bonus podcast for Patreon subscribers of five bucks a month or more. And I'm going to be putting out another one or two during the hiatus, which will be about the results of my air layering project, which is very exciting, and also something on the caladiums I've been growing. I wanted just to run a small segment of the interview that is in the most recent Extra Leaf, Extra Leaf 31, because I thought you would absolutely love to hear this. It's from Ursula Sutcliffe, who runs a houseplant shop in Bradford in the UK called Plant One On Me. And here's Ursula talking about how the shop has impacted on her daughter who has autism. I have a 14 um, year old daughter who's autistic and um, very creative very artistic, but socially, is always going to struggle. And it was always, on the back of my mind, it was something that always worried me. And once the shock presented itself to me, I thought, this is a space that she will feel relaxed in. And my hope is that she can work in there, bits that sewer, um, and that maybe she's going to learn to run a business and she doesn't even realise she's she's learning. Um, and I've watched her. We used to call her Lily Potter a few weeks ago because we had to set her up like a little a little station under the stairs just in case it was too much for her. Now, um, she's writing her first book that's set in a plant shop. She's saying hello to customers as they walk in. She's making cups of tea, and um, we're seeing a massive difference in her. And um, Before the summer holidays came, her teacher phoned me to say they've actually seen 
a massive improvement in our confidence since we opened the shop. Now, if that doesn't warm the cockles of your heart, I don't know what will. Yes, plants are amazing. And I'm so delighted to hear that Ursula's daughter is feeling the positive effects of being surrounded by plants. If you want to hear the whole of the interview with Ursula, do become a Patreon subscriber if you're not already. Details in the show notes on how to do that. time to turn to our 10 commandments for houseplant growers. When you first start out as a houseplant aficionado, you really have to take baby steps and learn as you go. But it is good to have some basic instructions to follow. And this is where Judy's 10 commandments come in. So without further ado, let's hear commandment number one. Can you guess what it's going to be? I think you probably can, but over to Judy to reveal all. The first commandment is don't overwater. Most house plants die from overwatering. So I tell someone, when in doubt, don't water. Uh, plant soil must dry out somewhat or the roots rot and die. And the fatter the leaves of the plant, the less often the plant needs to be watered because water is stored in the leaves. So don't don't overwater is number one. That thing about the leaf fatness is inspired because that's very true. That is very true. And it's something that once you get to know plants, you just instinctively look at the leaves and think, oh, yeah, that doesn't need so much water. But when you're starting out, that's not obvious, is it? That's just something that you pick up along the way. But that's really, really true. And uh, yeah, the, the I think people do tend to think that they're being kind by constantly drenching a plant but unfortunately exactly we both see those succulents that have been uh, filled up with so much water they've just basically burst which is horrendous <laughs> okay let, what's, what's number two so number two is don't over fertilize so it's better to starve your house plants with too little plant food than to force feed them with too much because what happens is the excess fertilizer builds up in the soil, it burns the roots, and this is the main reason why people's plants get ugly brown tips. So, I, you know, I talk to people who say, well, I fertilize my plant every week and it's still looking terrible. It's because most plants only need to be fertilized when they're actively growing, and even then, I recommend that people dilute the fertilizer to one half the recommended strength. And that prevents the ugly brown tips on their plants. I guess it's like humans in that, you know, we could all eat 50 cream cakes a week, or, you know, <laughs> but if we, if we want to be healthy, we, we probably need to cut back that little bit and have the right amount regularly through the growing season. And that's a good point about the growing season as well, because, you know, if you go go in excess, then uh, and through the winter period where plants are resting, uh, they're not going to be happy either. OK, so that's number two. What about number three? Number three is don't rush to repot your plant. So people have to avoid the urge to move plants to larger pots because most plants like to be a little root bound. This allows the soil to dry out faster and prevents the root rot we talked about before. And when you do repot a plant, if it's in a six-inch pot, it needs to go to the next size, which is an eight-inch pot. 
uh, people often go from a six inch pot to a 10 inch pot and then wonder they're watering the same as before, but now the plant is dying. And it's because they don't realize that when you move it to a much larger pot, it takes longer for the soil to dry out and you don't need to water as often. Yeah, I think the advice to go one pot size up can be confusing because really, who knows off by heart what pot sizes are? You know, I guess (laughs) I always kind of say, well, if you can just about sort of stick your finger between the two pots, if they're nested together, the the existing pot and the new pot, that's probably about right. You don't want to go to a massive pot that's going to overwhelm the plant. Right. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to do it. Yeah, I never thought about that. But that's excellent. You know, I always tell people, we'll just, you know, take out a little tape measure and measure your pot across the top. And if it says six inches, then you go to the eight inch pot. If it says four inches, then you go to the six inch pot. But but your way sounds perfect, too. Yeah. Well, as I say, I always look at the bottom of pots and see these numbers written on think I don't know. I mean, between imperial and metric and trying to figure out. Trying to figure out the measurements, I'm lost. So I just usually do it by eye. But at least you can kind of get a sense of uh, what when the pot's the right size. Okay, so that's a good one. What about though, Judy, when you buy a new plant and you have a suspicion that it's been planted in the wrong kind of of mix? So for example, you might buy a cactus and you're thinking that the the potting mix looks very waterlogged. Is is that a time when possibly? repotting straight away is sensible but maybe staying in the same size pot well you know i usually tell people that they should wait at least six weeks before repotting but what you're saying um is a good a good point because many times when you um buy a plant especially from these big box stores like walmart or um i don't know lowe's i'm not sure what what stores you have over there in england um, the person who takes care of the plants waters them constantly, and the soil is waterlogged when you bring the plant home. If that's true, then I would do what you recommend. I'd take it out of the pot, get rid of all the wet soil, and repot it in the same size pot in fresh, dry soil. That, I think that's probably my my number one question that I get is, that, you know, the succulent that's rotting away. That is the number mm-hmm. one question right now with all these succulents being sold all over the place, in, not in garden centres and not necessarily with very good advice attached. Um, and it's a bit it's a bit sad to see uh, to see the, the succulent that ends up as, as, a, as a mush, a pile of mush at the bottom yes, yes. of a plot. You know what I tell people about succulents if they have an overwatering problem, that they can take it out of the pot, get rid of all of the wet soil, and let it lay out bare root for like 24 to 48 hours. And that doesn't hurt the plant, allows the roots to dry out. And then when you put it back in the soil, it does much better. That's a really good point. I've I've certainly got an Ionium that I've had out of the it's it's been laying on the sides with just roots for like weeks go. and it's fine. It's a, right. it'll be fine. And it's yeah, fine. And people yes. can't quite believe that, but that's how tough these plants are. I, I've lost count now, Judy. Are we on number are we on number four yet? We're number four, yes. And number four is um the quality of the water people use. So um People should avoid using water that has too much salt or other chemicals like chlorine and fluoride in it. 
never, ever use water that has passed through a water softener because it's much too salty and it will cause, it'll burn the roots again and cause brown tips on the plant. For me, that's the gold standard for, for watering is, is rainwater, if I can possibly get hold of it. But, you know, you know pe- people nowadays are a little lazy. You know, they, they work all day. They have to come home and do all kinds of things. And they sometimes don't want to spend the time to collect rainwater. Or if you live in an apartment, I suppose, and you don't have access to it either, isn't that the other issue, I guess? Right. And like where we live, we live in Phoenix, Arizona. And if I collected rainwater here... Um, it would attract mosquitoes, uh-huh. and then we're going to have this huge mosquito problem. So, um, you know, I, I I don't even collect rainwater because of that. Right. Tell me number five. We're, we're almost halfway through. What's number five? Um, number five is I recommend that people prune their plants aggressively. Oh, that's an interesting one. A lot of people are afraid to do that. So suddenly it's too late, and they have this straggly, pothos plant that has, you know, seven foot runners that are bare. Um, And then they say, oh, it's so ugly. What do I do? And the answer is, you know, if you keep pruning your plants, especially your vines, that will make them uh, bush out along the entire length of the stem. And you'll always have a nice full looking plant. But if you wait too long and then you've got this six-foot empty vine, you're going to have to cut it all the way back almost to the soil level in order to get it to look good again. So if you consistently prune, your plants will look a lot better. See, I think that's just uh, your way of making sure that all your friends have lots of cuttings of your favorite plants <laughs> yes, to give you. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, generosity has its has benefits for the parent plant as well. I like that. That's a very good point. Yeah, because otherwise you end up with the one long straggly stem, which is not is not a great look in any plant, really, is it? But uh, it also encourages generosity of giving cuttings, which I think is a good thing. with the second five in the Ten Commandments in a bit. But now it's time for question of the week. And this one comes from Maggie, who says, first of all, that she loves the show. Thank you, Maggie. That is, by the way, the way to start your question, because it really does make me feel good inside before I even come to think about whether I can answer your question. Uh, So what does Maggie want to know? Well, she's been listening to... uh, She started... She started listening at number one and she's making her way through all the podcasts. And she's come up to episode 19 on Fungus Nats. And in that episode, if you remember, we talk about the various causes of fungus gnats or or things that will encourage a fungus gnat infestation. And one of them is overwatering. And Maggie says that she's had some fungus gnat issues. Nothing unmanageable at the moment. I guess one person's manageable fungus gnat infestation is somebody else's living nightmare. Some people have a real thing about having anything floating about in their house. I'm not particularly bothered, but yeah, I can understand for some people, 
even a single fungus gnat adult flying around is unacceptable. So yeah, it's a problem that, that you need to deal with at some point because even if you're not that bothered by the flies, eventually they will keep on breeding and get to the point where every single one of you will be finding yourself wreathed in fungus gnats constantly, which is not a pleasant experience. Maggie says, I've often heard and read that proper watering needs to be thorough to where the water comes out the drainage holes. I water very slowly so the water isn't gushing out the holes. I let the soil completely dry out between waterings and use a moisture meter when in doubt. Sometimes I wonder if I'm watering too much. Well, I would say, Maggie, to start with, if you are doing what you say you're doing, letting the soil dry out and indeed using a moisture meter to check that, I'd be very surprised if you are overwatering. Anyway, you go on to say that your condo is pretty cool, usually 18 to 21 Celsius. She helpfully translates to 65 to 70 Fahrenheit, which is, thank you for that translation, because uh, as as listeners will know, I am terrible at translating Celsius to Fahrenheit. In fact, if somebody wants to email me a little conversion chart that I can print out and stick somewhere, please do, because you will be my number one fan forever. Anyway... Maggie says, could I be watering too much at a time given the climate? The specific plant I'm thinking about is my seven and a half foot Dracaena that only gets medium to bright indirect light about seven to 11 and then from five to seven due to reflections off buildings. Although my condo faces east, I live downtown and the buildings don't give me as much sunlight as possible. So all the plants in my living room are in the same boat. Any thoughts? Well, first of all, Maggie, I think you've made a great start here in that you clearly know your stuff. You know that the buildings around you are take blocking out some of the light that you're getting or should be getting but aren't getting. And you're also, you know, the temperature and you are know when the plant is getting light. So this is all really useful stuff to know. And I mean, I was the one thing you don't mention in your post is what makes you think that your watering regime is wrong? Are you looking at that Dracaena and finding that the plants looking, losing leaves, they're going yellow and and falling more quickly than they should do, uh, limp leaves, not very good growth. All those would be signs that you're overwatering. If your plants are showing none of those signs, then I think you're probably doing fine. It sounds like you're doing everything right. As we discovered in episode 105, Dracaenas are super tough and they'll be fine in the light that you've got there uh, the amount of light that you've got and the hours of light you're getting should be fine for that plant if you're letting the water go into the plant and you're waiting until they till it's drying out a bit till you water again then i think you're probably doing fine in terms of the fungus gnat infestation let's be clear here overwatering can exacerbate a fungus gnat problem however overwatering is not the cause of a fungus gnat infestation. So just because you're watering your plants a bit too much doesn't mean that fungus gnats will suddenly appear and go nuts where they didn't exist anywhere before. Most of us have got a few fungus gnat larvae kicking around. What will happen though is if if the plant is overwatered and has too much water around the roots that will just encourage a few more fungus gnats than you'd be seeing otherwise. Likewise, 
totally drying out your plants will not fully get rid of a fungus gnat problem and you'll find that they will come back because this is an amazingly successful little creature and it finds its way around most of the the attempts to foil them that we have come up with and that's why in the fungus gnat episode i suggest using nematode worms because that is a really reliable and safe way to get rid of the problem i do a probably an annual fungus gnat drench with the nematode worms and that way I will keep a lid on the population. I'm realising that I'm not going to totally cure the problem because obviously there's new pots of soil coming into the house on new plants and so there's always going to be a bit of a vicious circle going on. Try not to worry though Maggie, I think your plants will be fine. If you keep your watering regime as it is, then I suspect your fungus gnat population will probably remain fairly stable, probably peaking in the spring and the autumn. Um, if, if they're proving really troublesome, then do give nematode worms a look if you can. There are many other suggested treatments for fungus gnats, but that's the one generally that I recommend because it is completely safe and the other thing about it is, is that the nematode worms can persist in the soil for quite a long time and keep tackling new infestations as they come along. So they are quite a long lived treatment. The other thing you can do, Maggie, if you're worried about water not coming out the bottom is with plants that you're able to move, take them to a shower tray or bath or sink and allow the water to run through thoroughly before you put them back in their pots once they've drained off. That way, you know, they're not going to be waterlogged because you've allowed the water to drain away, but they've also had a really good soaking. I hope that's helped Maggie and do keep listening to and enjoying the rest of the episodes. You've got a long way to go, I suspect, unless you've been listening madly. But it's really good to hear that you have been enjoying the show. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, I'm coming back with a Q&A in one of my episodes in September. So do drop me a line and ask a question. I will do my very best to get you an answer. Right. Are you ready for Commandment 6? Here we go. No direct sun. You know, plants like bright indirect light, but there are very, very few plants that you can put in the direct sun indoors without having their leaves burn. So what are, what are the exceptions to that rule? What are the things that we can put in if we've got a really bright sunny spot? Oh, so you could put a geranium. Um, it's amazing how well geraniums um, grow indoors in the direct sun. You could put a little yucca plant or an aloe. There are some um, cacti plants that you can put into the direct sun. But as far as your usual run-of-the-mill indoor plants like Diefenbachias or Dracaenas or Pothos plants or ivies, they really, really don't like the direct sun. They're just going to get cooked, aren't they? Which is very, very sad. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very fast, yes. And number seven. Uh, location, location, location. You can have the same exact plant in a an area that gets um, bright indirect light and is nice and warm. And that plant is also in another part of your home that's in much lower light and it's a much cooler area. And you cannot water them the exact amount on the same day. So if the, if the plant is in a bright, indirect, 
spot that's warm, you may water it every week. The same plant in an area that's cool, in much lower light, may only need to be watered every other week. So it's not a good idea to say, it's Saturday morning and I'm going to go water all my plants, because that doesn't work. Yeah, lots of people do have that kind of strict regime. As a, as a more of a fly-by-night kind of character, I tend to kind of see things needing it, needing water and, and deliver it, which hopefully works quite well. But you're right. If you're too strict with, uh, it's it's Saturday, it's time to water all the houseplants, then you can land yourself in all kinds of grief. Okay, we're, we're, um, we're on number eight. Examine your plants frequently because it's much easier to prevent a bug infestation or a disease than to treat either one. So every time you go to water, look at your plant, you know, turn the leaves over, see if there are these little unwanted critters growing where they shouldn't be growing. Um, see if there's some kind of spots on your plants that shouldn't be there. Um, that's an indication of leaf spot disease or something else like that. And that way that you can start treatment immediately before it's too late and the, the disease or the bugs have overtaken your entire plant. Yeah, this is so true. It's so tragic when that happens, when you suddenly see <laughs> the plants completely gone downhill and you just haven't noticed. And it's easy to do that when they're sort of tucked away somewhere you don't look very often as well, I find. Um, but yeah, that's that's great advice. And just I guess it's getting over, particularly when you start off with houseplants, it, that kind of plant blindness that people don't look very closely at plants they might just glance at it and think oh it's fine but they haven't checked the underside of the leaves or looked closely to see those little aphids that are reproducing at an alarming rate so yeah that's a great one exactly the other one's very simple um know whether or not your plant is poisonous yeah and if it is keep it out of the reach of your cats your dogs and your children especially um, there are a, a lot of plants that are poisonous and, you know, people don't realize it. And then suddenly their dog is munching on something and, uh, you know, they've got a problem. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing how, how common that is. And it's I guess people are shocked by how many quite poisonous plants are sold widely as house plants. I think people assume that they're all completely safe whereas nothing could be further from the truth there are so many plants that are pretty deadly um to to us or our pets or both which is uh not good i yeah i don't have any my my kids and uh dog don't don't do any house plant nibbling so i'm lucky in that respect but uh yeah you've got to be careful right. you've got yeah. to be careful but i kind of my attitude now is sort of education not that my kids would be eating house plants anyway but in my garden i try to sort of educate and say you know this plant don't touch it um but yeah it's mm -hmm. it, you don't want to be messing around with that and then wait discovering too late that your precious pussycat or whatever has has eaten something uh and, and taken ill and it does happen a lot so that's that is a really good one you don't want that kind of heart heartbreak in your life i suspect was that number 10 or was that number nine i've lot well there's just one okay. more <laughs> one more left and that is that you should think twice before asking your friends and relatives to care for your plants while you're away on vacation. Because what often happens is they kill them with kindness. So, you know, if you're going away for a week, you certainly don't need someone to look at your plants. If you're going away for two weeks, you probably don't need anyone. You should, you know, place them 
in a low light area where they won't need much water and they won't dry out as quickly as usual. Water them well before you leave. And when you come back, if they're a little droopy, they'll perk up after you water them. But many times, friends are so kind, they come over constantly, they water the plants constantly, and by the time you get home, the plants are dead. <laughs> yes, that that's a familiar story. And you're right, I, I tend to, mine tend to gather in the in the shower basin in one bathroom and in the bath in the other in the other bathroom right. and just hang out there doing their own thing for a couple of weeks and and they're usually absolutely fine in fact it's always quite annoying when you come back and you're like oh my that's flowered and that's that's put out some new leaves in my absence you know <laughs> life goes on which is i guess a good thing but it feels it's, sometimes it's a bit kind of like you don't need me but that's a good thing i guess right exactly <laughs> it for episode 106 i'll be back on september the 6th with a new episode in the meantime do go and hang out in the houseplant fans of on the ledge facebook group where you'll find lots of other people ready and willing to plug the podcast gap with chat about plants and let me leave you by wishing you a week of foliage, flowers and a distinct absence of fungus gnats. Bye! Music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, A Man Approaches with Bode Sitar by Samuel Corwin, and Water in the Creek by Josh Woodward, all licensed under Creative Commons. See my show notes at janeperone.com for details. Mm-hmm.